Well, welcome back to Three Papa. My name is Mike Caridi. This is episode number 20. We've got one for the punters this week, a very special guest uh, coming on to talk all about golf betting and how it works and really get a, a true understanding of uh, of the markets and how and how they are, are getting framed up every single week when you are logging into your account and having a bet. Um, and the man that's coming to talk to us this week is Don. Don, welcome. Uh, good evening, Mike. You are you are a man who 100% plays in the betting market. We're not going to mention who you work for, but um, how long have you worked in the gambling game? All up. I first worked, I think it was 1989. I started working for kind of in a betting shop in London. Uh, I can name the firm for Ladbrokes. So I worked there for about two or three years. Uh, not to do uh, anything like a career in it. it. I was waiting to join the foreign office in the UK and it was mm. a two-year process. Uh, I didn't eventually get in there, but during the time, someone said, look, you know, you like you like gambling and you're quite good with figures, so do that before uh, before you hopefully take your career in the higher echelons of the civil service. But it didn't get that far. And what, how many years now? That's nine, uh, 32 years later, yeah. I'm still in it. There you go. And obviously, you're in the UK for how long? Or did you travel around and, and work in a few different countries and different different businesses? Yeah, I worked uh, after Labrooks. I did some. I'd worked as a bit of journalism for did some for the Sporting Life, which is the racing paper in the UK for a while, just kind of as a trainee. Then I also worked for a, for a soccer or football uh, journal called Ninety Minutes for about six months as well. After that, I basically worked in UK from 1992 this is uh, for, for bookmakers until 1999 and then our firm called Victor Chandler moved to Gibraltar so I lived in worked in Gibraltar for four years uh, and then uh, lived in Spain for three of those so commuted across the border each morning and then after that I moved to Melbourne and worked with uh, Mark Reed firm international sports for for about a year and a half yeah uh, then followed up, I kind of kind of branched more specialised golfing. I worked for a, a, actually a golf-only bookmaker called Golfing Gods, who probably weren't in Australia, but were kind of starting anew in the UK. Uh, that lasted a couple of years until the owner ran off with the money and uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean about six months' salary. Uh, but on the back of that, we kind of prided ourselves, me and another guy, uh, putting our prices first in the market. So... On the back of that, we knew it was popular. We mm. basically set up a golf uh, pricing consultancy business called First on the Tee. So we provided uh, an, a, a rough guide to prices to the firms for each morning. So say if you're in the UK or if you're in Malaysia, you'd wake up in the morning and we would price up the main events of the week. You could ch- choose to use those literally or just use them as a guide and tweak with them a bit and release them. In, in the UK... Kind of a rough idea of price is called a tissue. I'm not sure what it is in Australia. So mm-hmm. we provided tissues for eventually, I think, probably about 12 bookmakers. Uh, the trouble was, obviously, most of the bookmakers save money and labour cost is rather than actually use some uh, intellectual acumen themselves. They just put the prices straight out of the market. Yeah. So uh, obviously, you have odds comparison markets like odds check and stuff yeah. is so obviously if a say if a client was paying us twenty thousand a year for consultancy he realized that he could get it for free by just copying another yeah. bookmaker's price. Wait a day. <laughs> yeah. So 
So, yeah, I mean, as soon as your intellectual property, intellectual property goes on the internet, it's, it's gone. Yeah. So uh, we went from 12 clients to four. It basically became uneconomic for two of us to do it. And I approached my current employer, who was our biggest client, and they basically said, look, we'd love you to work for us permanently, just solely with them. So I've been with them for 11 years. Okay. That's a good stint. Mm. Oh, and, yes. It was long. And what was the – you're passionate about golf? Or like obviously you did some other sports before, I'm guessing? Yeah. Uh, I was always – like golf, I, I still today, I, I, I pass the theory but fail the practical in my golf. <laughs> so I know a lot about it, but uh, putting on a golf course, it's very different. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I like golf. I like all sorts of betting. I was a massive Seve Balaceros fan. He probably got me into golf. Yeah. 76 Open at Birkdale. That was his first Open. He did this little picture run through two bunkers on the 18th green to get up and down in two to become second and get invited to the Masters. That was, that was my first real memory of golf. After that was the Nicholas Watson at Turnbury in 77. Yeah. That was it. So, But uh, golf in as we talk about betting, was very, very small part of betting in the UK in those days. It was probably horse racing, greyhounds, and a bit of football. Uh, so when I started in the betting industry, we basically did everything. Uh, there was no computers. You write the tickets down on carbon paper. You know, you had one copy you worked on manually. One was check someone else, and you settled the bets manually. So you picked up the phone, you settled bets. They're all filed manually as well and then from then onwards you basically learned how to odds compile basically mm-hmm. and the, yeah the best learning curve about that was that people were constantly asking you to price up stuff mm-hmm. from sporting events to i know someone chuck a bit of paper in the bin or something <laughs> and you learn very very quickly it's a skill it's an it's absolute it's skill. skill we um, have your a, best yeah we've got a golf social group um mm-hmm. And the, 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 there's about no, anything up to like 30 or 40 guys playing the group over the year. And at the start of the year, the president, um, he decided to frame up a market and he doesn't, that's not his job. So he just puts the yeah. odds up. And I thought to myself, someone's got half a clue here. They're going to they're gonna take a lot of money off him. But mm. it didn't really matter. It was a bit of fun because, yeah, it, it is an absolute skill to be able to price it up and, and mean that there's not, not a gap in there where someone can take advantage of you. Yeah, I I probably did the same as you. We have a small group of us who have been actually playing in Melbourne for over about 19 years where we play a small country course out of Melbourne every month. And I used to price up. up it was probably 12 or 13 people. So it was outright, nearest to pin, longest drive. Yep. And yeah, it was quite an interesting discipline because obviously two people out of the, say, 12 or 13 hit the ball the furthest, but you had to price up whether they're going to hit the fairway or not. So, yep. yeah. More, in it. more involved when you're doing nearest of being the longest drives as well. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, and I didn't play golf regularly with those people, so I was kind of really betting blind, really. Yeah. But I think I always come out in front, so yeah, a bit of fun. And I mean, I talk, I've talked about this on the podcast before, so um, I've been on golf for about I want to say 25 years. So, my, my first, uh, I love golf, I'm passionate about it, similar to you, know a lot about it, understand the golf swing just not not great at it which is fine that that pretty much sums up most people that love their golf but yeah i had i had a passion for golf and and then i had a passion for betting but going to an all boys school and growing up you know probably halfway between flemington race course and mooney valley race course you sort of mm-hmm. you sort of are very much immersed in gambling very very quickly yeah um 
and so yeah, my my bets were walking originally were walk into a your local TAB and look up on the teletext screen whatever golfer you wanted this week and punch in your your six figure number onto a piece of paper and write yeah. down and, and that was it. And the whole world's completely different now. You've seen it the whole way through. How much has how much has betting on golf changed and and what sort of volume would it make up of a normal normal week? When we kind of when I worked for Victor Chandler London, we kind of started obviously betting on a lot more sport. Uh, golf was probably, I would think, between mid-90s and probably 2003, 2004 was. After football, mm-hmm. it was probably the biggest sport mm-hmm. in the UK for gambling. And then, because bookmakers were kind of suspicious of other sports. They didn't know much about tennis apart from Wimbledon or, you know, the Aussie Open and stuff. And obviously, yeah. eventually, people realised there was multitude of tennis tournaments, lots of matches, and then this branch forward. And I think also golf has suffered because it's a four-day event. Yeah. If your punters want a quick fix, in those days, it was just outright markets. You had to wake until, you know, Sunday afternoon to the last part had gone. Whereas other sports, there was numerous smaller, quicker fixes to have a bet. Yep. Yeah, for sure. But now, yeah, that has yeah, changed yeah, because ball, there's more micro-markets. And, yeah. yeah. But it's still obviously, you know, different from, from other sports, you know, darts and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, golf has probably suffered in terms of turnover drastically against other sports. But I think, obviously, it's kind of worked out. It's it's kind of, I suppose it's honesty as a sport. It's renowned for its, you know, the honesty of its members, people calling penalties on people, unless mm. you're Patrick Reed, of course. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, so I think people are attracted to that. And I think finally, obviously, specifically the PGA Tour have obviously realised that it's a goldmine for them. And there can be micro markets based on that, and that was that's going to be the future. Is a lot more stat based markets. Yeah, that's probably the next the next question I probably have for you is from a person who's been lived in Australia my whole life and and bet Australia my whole life and and know where we at when it comes to um, telling people to gamble responsibly and telling you know making sure markets are fair and there's, there's you know no one's doing anything dodgy. The US yeah. is just in its infancy when it comes to betting, you know, not even every state betting yet. It's just such a different market. How much do you think, how far do you think they've got to go? Or, or do you think they've got learnings there already that it's going to make sure that, you know, people are, you know, there's bets that'll come up at some point where this person's going to hit the green and, um, you know, someone is missing the green on purpose to make sure there's some money there. Like, is that stuff going to happen? Or do you think it's, we're past that now? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Obviously the trouble is, is, know how accurate and how on time streaming are i mean not if you're going to do those micro markets is that even say in tennis there's someone unless you're there uh, you you don't know your kind of you know the wait time the hang time in the coverage you're watching so yeah. so it's whether they can get that kind of true and official i mean they had a case last week where in tennis that one of the uh the umpire's Bessie was was fine. I think about half a million dollars uh, yeah. because he was keying in the keying in the scores late. Yeah, right. So the people who were betting on the scores well, knew what the score was before he put it. In. So <laughs> golf is different from that. Oh, I yeah. do think there will become a not a breaking point, but we will see incidents where a minute now. You know, you hear rumours about people kicking balls back in the fairway, but it's going to maybe get to the case when someone's going to shout in the middle of someone's downswing. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt. 
Um, or, yeah, just and, do something on purpose, a jingling of keys or anything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, say, if you imagine if you're on kind of, you know, 17th at Sawgrass with a two-stroke lead. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. golf, as you say, you've got a big crowd. They can walk and run away. If you're, say, if you're in a snooker tournament and, and it's obviously another sport which is very silent when people, you know, hit the ball, you're going to hear someone shouting, you know, who they are. Whereas golf, they can run away and then it's too late. Uh, I mean, I hope not, but, but you know, I mean, there's enough talk now not for betting purpose of people shouting joining mm. middle people's back swings and tv is obviously closely linked with the pgi and stuff and they don't infer that you know, these activities could be nefarious but i think we'll come to the fact that there will be there will be more happening yeah i think it's going to be a, a really interesting watch how they progress as a as a country with gambling and um it's all new for them now you know like i mean they've always been betting obviously but it's legal now and and or in, in many states. And like you said, the, the PGA Tour knows where the money's going to come from, so they're all on board. Um, okay. It'd be very, very interesting to see how, how it shakes out. I mean, yeah, even the PGA Tour website now, you can click a, a button and add the odds in at the end um, for yeah. DraftKings odds or whatever the, whoever they run with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be more and more a part of it. Um, now, when it comes to the general week, how, how does – how do you – set up the market how does it get framed in the first place like what's the broad strokes of how much time goes uh, into setting it all up it obviously depends obviously on the tournament uh i mean people might think that you know kind of major weeks are kind of very very big but obviously the all the forms there in your mind and stuff the more the first the week would normally start depending on how many events you've got I mean, the main object turnover event of doesn't matter which country you're in would be the PGA Tour, mm-hmm. and the second one would be the DP or I still call it European Tour yep. as a traditionalist. Uh, those mm-hmm. who would do that. Uh, so basically, the week would start of printing the field out, getting the field out, assessing the strength of the field, which is I think the most important thing, and then basically it's a combination of how they performed the previous week, obviously their current form and their course form. And based on the last tournament they played, what price they were for that event. Mm-hmm. But say mm-hmm. if say if a golfer was twenty five to one the previous week, he's come say he's come fifth in in, in that tournament that week. Beginning about course form, whatever, he's probably going to be twenty to one yeah. this week. But obviously, if that form if that event is either weaker or is a lot stronger, his his price will vary proportionally so i would basically work out the strength of the field and i would have a ratio of of the players price that week should it be multiplied the, the odds be multiplied or, or divided so a better chance or a lesser mm-hmm. chance and yep. you work it out from there and then you basically bet a market to a certain percentage i don't want to get too detailed but yeah. it's basically allegedly meant to be the bookmakers built in profit but obviously it's not because but customers don't bet every every equal amount on every player. So yeah. you, you you basically work out your prices, and then if you think you're betting too generously or or too frugally, you adjust those either cut those prices accordingly or cut that or, or increase those prices. Yeah. And when it comes to so, something, a good example, like probably a lot of people had a look at the market last week. So Cam Smith was the red hot favorite. I can't remember what he mm-hmm. was. Was he about three fifty or so? he was pretty very? Oh cheap. no, he's like six six fifty. Yeah. Six fifty. So when he's at that price to start with, how much? Sorry, how much if that is obviously where he frames up, and then how much sort of out 
before the tournament starts? Is that weight of money coming in or is it just a mixture of both? I think you don't get a lot of weight of money in terms of favourites. Uh, because obviously the, it's probably the easy, easy price to get right, really. Yep. So he was pretty much a similar price when he played in Hong Kong two weeks before when he mm. came second. Yeah, so his price hasn't very much. It's tournaments where you may have a player who's had a long rest or they've never really played that that tour before. Say, you know, a, a player who had no history of playing in Australia. So that's how it happens, really. It, but predominantly it is current form and course form. You, they're the two key. Key, key items you use to price up a player. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and look, a lot of people look at it that way. So I run um, I run three main things that I look at each week. So first one is form coming in and then obviously form that they've played at this course. Um, mm-hmm. And then also, well, for PJ Tour events, this is not for, for this week, the Aussie. Um, and then I also sort of try and draw in some stats. So if I've got six key stats that I sort of pick for that course, um, and then basically pull data out around strokes gained and then overlay all three things, and that gives me a rough guess. And then normally someone comes up on top that's short, and I don't want them, so I sort of go fishing somewhere else. But, yeah, I think you can't go wrong with looking at someone. If they play well at the course and they're playing well at the moment, it's going to give you a good indicator they're going to have a good week, or you know, at least the odds are going to be in your favour, I guess. Putting my punter's hat rather than being a bookmaker, because obviously I kind of bet as well, is yeah. I think the other important thing to frame is – and. I mean, the study and and time and, uh, and effort you put into obviously looking at your punting is, you know, vastly better than most people who have a bet. Hmm. The trouble I think I find for customers is is they look at a player, they like a player, they're backed up by, say, as you said, course form, current form, stats, strokes, gain, but they still actually don't know what price he should be in the market. Yeah. yeah. So... so I mean, in an ideal world, if people had time, which they don't, which is why, you know, people have a stab their own or they, you know, pay for tipsers and stuff is is to price up the market by yourself. Yeah. Because you were sick. Say, for instance, you like to play a last week and actually you looked at him, he ticked all the boxes and you thought, oh, actually, yeah, I really like him this week. And and he was 10 to 1 and you backed him. Uh, whereas if you took more time and effort you might actually make him even though you think he's very very good this week is he's 16 to 1 yep. well to obviously have patience and actually have yeah, is to say well actually at 10 to 1 he's not the real bet I won this week yes yeah no well, a good example last week you, you framing it up perfectly is when I looked at the market obviously Cam Smith and Min Woo Lee are the, two of the best golfers in the field but I didn't like yeah. the price so my top pick was Adrian Moronk because he was nearly three times the price of Cam Smith. I'd much prefer yeah. to bet someone at three times the price. So I'm kind of almost going away from what, what I know I should be betting on um, because I like, the, I like the price better. I'm probably giving myself less chance of less chance of a win. But mm. yeah, you know, you're always going to have your favorites as well. Like you said, I know I've got guys um, that I picked last week. Like one one guy that I said was worth, you know, a dollar each way literally was Tom Power Horn was, was about a thousand to one. And a thousand mm. to one, I thought, well, you know what? He was actually... Last year on the Aussie tour, he was mm. probably the only person that gave Dave Michaluzzi a run. Yeah, he did. That's right. Yeah, Dave Michaluzzi's you know thirties, and he's playing much better mm. golf. But yeah, mm-hmm. at a thousand to one, I'd happily have a dollar each way on that. Yeah, I mean, I looked at Dave Michaluzzi last week, and I saw the price of him. I just thought that's no value at all, really. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's obviously ideally is is is, but it's 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 kind of hard discipline to have because say if you know you picked a player you like, 
and he's one at ten, and he really should be fourteen to one. Is you're still kicking yourself for missing that player. So yeah. natural human nature is to bet who you like, and as you say, you can't really work out exactly what his price was. You don't want to miss fear of missing out, and you, yeah, that's it. And, and bookmakers, you know, I think that's what people seem to wear is they're looking at the same thing as you are. So if they see a player with good current form and very good local form is, they will actually probably cut him his price to actually less than it should be because they know they're probably going to back him. Yeah. Oh, episode, I want to say episode two or three that I did, I had another mad gambler on. And at the time, we were talking about Ludwig Aberg, and this was three months ago. I mean, we weren't Nostradamus. Everyone knew he was a superstar. Yeah. Um, but he was really only just coming out. And we were talking about, you know, the, the odds that he was coming up in the market of the events that he was playing in his first one or two events on tour. It was like, gee, he's short. It's like, yeah, but everyone likes, everyone knows him no matter what. So no matter what happens, everyone's going to want a piece of it. And we talked about the fact that when he does win, we're not going to get anywhere near the price we want. Because if you think about a normal rookie that comes through, they're going to be yeah. big odds and they eventually win yeah. in the 50s or 60s. It's like $13. But, I mean, he's, yeah, yeah, he's a super, right, yeah. super talent. But you, you just, um, like you said, everyone's looking at the same stuff. So and and when the price goes up, it's it's the right price. At the end of the day, thirteen bucks was the right price for him, hands down. Um, he mm-hmm. was easily the best player in the field, and he won. He won like he won like yeah. the best player in the field. Yeah. Um. So when so outside of that, so you you framing up the market during the week. How does it work post that? Do you have to sit there, or do other people manage it? Like if there's, you know, big. It does company. vary firm to firm. Uh, the firm I work for, we're. Basically, you do your prices, you do your odds, uh, and then other people manage that product. Okay. Who are also very knowledgeable on golf as well, but more of a training matter than that is. It's also to do, depending on which week is, sometimes you might be pricing up 10 events. And in, it might sound yeah. stupid, but if you're belly on, say, the Taiwan Masters, that's probably going to take you two or three times as long to price it up than an Australian event or a PGA Tour event. I'm willing so to bet really, there's a few more unknowns in the Taiwan Masters than the Aussie events. And the money you'll have on that tournament won't be casual punters. It, it, it'll be professional gamblers yeah. or tips to line. So, it, yeah, I mean, you have less bookmakers to to bet on because not everyone bets on those events. And if they do, most of them copy the first couple of firms in the market. So, mm. yeah, it depends on that. Then it's obviously round-by-round round stuff. It's first round three balls, matchups. And obviously more firms are now doing and steady markets based on three balls, you know, to yeah. lead after three holes. They're just done obviously by an algorithm and they're churned out. So Yeah. And and like you said, there's still there's a lot of new markets coming up and there's a lot of um businesses that don't understand golf. And I've seen I've seen events where we've got, you know, it wasn't Pebble Beach, well let's just say it was Pebble Beach back in the day, three three um courses up. And they're framing up a first round market leader just for mm-hmm. overall. It's like you can't do that. You're gonna you're gonna cost yourself some money here because I can tell you that this course is playing substantially easier and, and someone's gonna shoot a lower score. It's just the the odds are in my favor. And then normally before the event starts, they take the market down and refund because they realize yeah. they made a made a mistake. Used to um, be, was it the old uh, San Diego one, the farmers insurance used to have the north and south course, north I and think south. it is. Yep. Yeah, the the one that the US Open wasn't played on was four strokes. Yeah, four yeah. strokes easier than the other one, but I think now it's kind of stroke yeah. and a half, but it they, still can be. They yeah. redo the greens, yeah, and sometimes now yeah. it can can play out pretty even. But yeah, that, that's a great example. It was always the one we'd watch, 
And if they mm. got, got it up in the one, you're like, great, I'm going to back everyone on the north. Or Tiger's out on the north, perfect. That's, he's the one I yeah. want because he's going to he's just going to go deep here. Um, yeah. And it's just it's really funny to watch it evolve over the years, in particular golf, because, I mean, I'll put a tip sheet out for free. I tell people, gamble responsibly. I'm not going to – if I pick you a winner once a month, we're flying. You know, like it's just mm. – it's the hardest sport in the world to bet on. It just is. There's nothing like it. But you get better odds. But you're also just mm-hmm. not going to win as frequently, as simple as that. And like, sorry, when you're picking winners, if you're picking, you know, guys to make the card or you're doing something different to to make, you know, different bets, great. You can definitely definitely maybe um get more more frequent winners. But yeah, jagging win on the PGA Tour is pretty tough. Um, so so when it comes to those, so someone's there managing those markets. Um, I know that I've even seen agencies where the main event will stay up. So say the PGA Tour, but they might set up odds for say LPGA Tour or the Asian Tour. And then as soon as it goes live round one, they take the market down. They don't they don't do anything live. Is that just mm-hmm. to limit their risk? It's about live unless I mean there are obviously feeds who film firms who provide in play odds to bookmakers. So they get that feed and they would tweak those prices to their own. But predominantly you're getting a feed from from some of the people. The other part is it's just sheer it's labor intensive. Golf is, as I said before, is it's shrinking in terms of the popularity against other sports is and a lot of firms don't want to you know employ two or three full-time golf traders yeah yeah that's fair enough uh they're they're happy to maybe have a go at the pga and european tour by themselves and the rest of the time they just copy other firms prices yeah yeah and you say that and most would admit that uh because they just you know the chaps, you know, or, or girls got other things to do and they're doing three or four sports and they just haven't got the time. And if they update the prices is at the end of each round, it'd probably be, you know, when someone gets up in the morning and they've done three or four other things, they'll may have them up for a couple of hours, that's all. Yeah. I think it's uh yeah, it's like you said, it's it's one of those things where I'm sure I've seen a market go up once with a spelling error in someone's name on one one business and then someone else has got the same market up with the same price with the same spelling error. That's pretty clear. I think they just I think they had a few cases with mythical horses actually being put in markets and people just copying those as well. Yeah. <laughs> I can see see let's just see who's taking these numbers off me. Yeah. That's, I love that. Um now you've got to have some good stories. Now you, you can't share anything that you don't you, you you can't share, but surely you've got at least a couple of stories for the for the listeners around uh some funny betting stories. Well, kind of, I suppose I've got a couple of betting stories myself. Uh, yeah. Yes, please. People always like your, you know, closest booth wins or you know, closest losses. Uh, my probably biggest win on golf was was I backed uh, Gregory Havray for the Scottish Open golf. Yep. And I saw a price evaluation just when uh, the TAB used to do early prices, and I took those. I went down the betting shop and obviously backed it for you know, win top five, top ten, top twenty. He won, uh, uh, and then I went down the next day, I think next Monday, uh, I said, oh, I knew the bloke just about the chap on the counter, and I said, oh, I've got a win to collect on collect on, on the golf. He said, that's okay. I said, I said, it's for a reason amount. He says, oh, that's okay. He says, we've got 20 grand in the safe. I said, oh, actually, you'll, you'll need a bit more than that. He didn't realise. So so that was it. So taking the money to the local bank in Chapel Street was kind of, no reckon. A quick run, put it that way. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, didn't look past my shoulder. That was it. No, just keep moving. Uh, uh, I would think uh, sob stories was uh, had a really big bet on Thomas Bjorn for the uh, for the Open at, oh, yeah. at St Andrews. 
Not St. Louis, at Royal St. George's when Ben Curtis won. Yep. Uh, I was betting in, in play with the firm at the time, so I didn't get rid of any of it. I think he was maxed at 120 on Betfair, and I'd batch him at 125 to 1. Yeah, wow. Right. So that was it. And probably the only other kind of, well, uh, it's probably when I first started in betting. I was a student, a second year student, did a politics degree, international relations degree, uh, and uh, I did a five each way double on Paul Azinger to win the Tour Championship and Colin Montgomery to win the Valdrama Masters. I think it was 25 to 1 and 14 to 1. I think I had five pounds oh, each way. Perfect. Uh, uh, Azinger won by five shots. Uh, Colin Montgomery was. Level with Sandy Lyle. Sandy Lyle, he was in the clubhouse. Sandy Lyle hit his second shot out of bounds on the 17th of Valdrama. That one with the funny lake and it's a bit of a mm-hmm. crazy golf hole. His ball uh, hit the wall out of bounds, bounced back onto the green. He birdied that hole and won, won Montgomery by a shot. Oh. So I think yeah. I think in the, it would have come to like £6,000 in those days, which is a fortune. And my, yeah. Yeah. My, my grant from a council for my living and beer expenses of the year was £1,800. <sighs> So yeah, in theory, it would so have made a difference. Good. Yes, it is. Uh, I um, I've, I've not told this story in this podcast before, but I'll run through it quickly. My best win. Um, I was at a, a Caulfield Cup event maybe five six years ago, and uh, Ladbrokes was there sponsoring, and they said anyone mm-hmm. who wants to sign up puts a thousand dollars in their account, will match it in free bets. And I'm talking to the guy. I said, look, great, but thanks, not for me. I've got an account with you. I only bet golf. Your golf odds are no good. Mm-hmm. When was the last time I bet with this? About two years ago. Show me and I'll, I'll still match the deal. I'll set up, whatever. So the boys are like, put it in. We'll we'll split it. We'll bet it on the carnival. They're about to come up. So we did. And uh, bet through the carnival, worked the money down to about $130 in the account. Start of December comes around. And I'm like, I just got to get rid of this 130 bucks and turn this account off because I just don't use them. So I had a bit of money on Cam Smith to win the PGA in Queensland. I had a little bit of money on Ricky Fowler to win Tigers tournament, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then I had a $5 bet on Cam Smith to win that and Dylan Fratelli to win in Mauritius. And then oh, a $5 God, yeah. bet on Dylan Fratelli into Ricky Fowler and a $5 mm-hmm. bet on Ricky Fowler into Cam Smith. And then 10 bucks on all of them to win at 1500 to 1. Oh, God. So that was my bet. And I'm sorry, and I should say, I've been made redundant about three weeks before. So Sunday night, watch Cam Smith win. Beauty, I've won $1,000. I'm going to go have, have a few drinks. So get pretty drunk. About 11 o'clock, a mate messages me. He said, who'd you bet in Mauritius? I said, Dylan Fratelli. He said, he's going to win. I said, no, he's not. I said, I don't have him out. Right? I got a $5 multi. He yeah. goes on and wins. I think they both won in the playoff. Um, and he wins. So I win another $1,000. So now I decide to get really drunk. So I'm well and truly drunk. I'm not going to work on Monday. What do I care? So Monday morning comes around about five o'clock. Sun's peeking through and I wake up and I need Panadol and water very quickly. I am so hungover. So I walk out uh, and Ricky Fowler at that point had started the final round six shots off the lead. So he's not going to win. I'm not concerned yeah. about Ricky. I get my Panadol and my water. Out of habit, I grab my phone, flick down the leaderboard. Can't even see him on the list. Charlie Hoffman was winning by six or seven shots. As I go to put the phone down, I see Ricky Fowler's name. He's at the top of the leaderboard. He's opened his <laughs> final round with six straight birdies and I'm trying to calculate what's going on. I'm so drunk still. I walk out to the lounge room, turn on the TV, open up my betting account, and Ladbrokes is like, we'll give you $6,000 to cash your $10 bet right now that all three of these blokes win because I've already got two in the bank. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know what to do here. What do I do? And he's so far ahead because he started, you know, it's a limited field. Yeah. Event, but he started so far ahead. I'm trying to calculate, right, short par four ninth, 
he's probably going to make birdie there or well, uh, Hoffman. And then he's went, uh, Ricky Fowler's winning by two and he's on this hole. And I'm just trying to work through the holes in my head. Anyway, Hoffman went through nine and 10 or eight and nine, which were the drivable par four and the par five in even, mm-hmm. which is where he should have done the damage. And Fowler was still winning by two. He's about 14th hole. Um, but Fowler's on the tee and all I can see is water. And I'm like, I'm cashing this out. Where are we at? And they said, we'll give you 12 grand to cash out. Max was 15. So I took it straight away. Left oh, everything yeah. else running. Um, Fowler went on, went on the win. Got my doubles. I think I collected about, it was like 18 or 19 grand um, from $130. But if I just slept in and not got up for that Panadol, I would have woken up with even more in my account. But I'm not complaining about it. It was, was yeah, it was hilarious. And oh, as, as Ladbrokes, Ladbrokes um, not that they're listening, would attest to, I've never bet with them again. So they won't be happy with me at all. But yeah. Okay. You haven't given it back then. I haven't given anything, but I've given it back to plenty of other people. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but no, I mainly stick with Betfair for uh, for the yeah. golf betting. Um, and what about you? So uh, any other interesting stories from um, from times around well, working the books? Uh, well, yeah. I'm not sure if some of your, of your listeners, it was a very famous uh Golfer, uh, sorry, a snooker player called Alex Hurricane Higgins. He won the world championship twice in the 80s, and he was an curial uh, maverick, Northern Irishman who, who, who liked to drink and liked a bit of substance as well. Um, probably both <laughs> at the same time while on the green base. Uh, uh, and we used to have a charity golf day in the UK at a place called Haywards Heath, which is just south of London. It's kind of an okay golf course, and it was a match between bookmakers and jockeys and I used to play every year with my racing manager and I turned up one year and we've got I know some jockey never heard of and another jockey called Alex Higgins I thought that's a bit strange Alex Higgins I said it can't be Alex Higgins can it and then obviously went to tee off no one there then the Mercurial Irishman came up looking very worse for wear he had a boy as a caddy and already started swearing at the caddy and obviously one place he didn't want to be at so we played I think we played four ball better ball uh they were him and his his, his, his other jockey friend who actually owned a pub in Newmarket were five down after nine holes and he was the worst company you could ever think of. <laughs> Didn't speak to anyone at all. And then my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she accompanied me for the round and, and she was catching for me. And then my, the racing manager said to Steph, he said, get a couple of bottles of champagne from the clubhouse. He said, Alex needs a bit of cheering up. So she got a couple of bottles of champagne from, from the clubhouse. We teed off the 10th tee, uh, just before he teed off, we gave him his first set of champagne straight down the middle. Yeah, right. And this happened like that. It just got better and better and better the more he drank. Uh, I think he was, what well, I think it was one down on the 16th hole. It was like a short par, par, par four. He's playing off probably 23, 24. And he's short of the green in two. Uh, and he's got basically the flag about three yards from, from over the bunker. You can't possibly stop it. Mm. So he, without even looking put the putter out the bag, put it through the bunker, over lip, into the hole to go all square. <laughs> and the match finished uh, with me holding a 25 put on the 18th to, to stay all square. Yeah, wow. Uh, and then we retired to the clubhouse and he drank, I would think, at least five pints of cider and champagne. <laughs> and Just he never bought a drink all night. He didn't buy a drink all night. Did he was absolutely destitute and poor. He died pretty much penniless. But he, uh, two hours in his company... It was worth, you know, buying yeah. five pints of cider champagne, which is, isn't cheap because it's a fun, it's a funny drink. Yeah, absolutely, it is. A golf day with bookmakers and jockeys, you you'd have not one person there with a legitimate handicap. 
that would everyone would be off about five points more than normal, surely. Uh, the jockeys are probably worse. Oh, God. Especially no National doubt. Hunt jockeys. National, National Hunt jockeys are pretty uh, – two or three of the biggest jockeys, National Hunt jockeys, were, were playing. And, and they play a lot anyway. And they were kind of 15, 16, but they were definitely single figures. But I mm. think there was a – as you say, a, probably a bit of, you know – uh, you know, a bit of fiddling either side, so it probably balances itself out, really. And it was more kind of a social event in there, yeah, basically for charity as well. Yeah. yeah. And the what other a... story I've probably got is yeah. is a bit, bit well, it's, it's, it's basically it's a gambling coup. Uh, many years ago, I'm not sure if you remember that the PGA Tour for, and the European Tour for a couple of years actually ended their season on the same event. The, yeah, it was the, the, the American Express WGC at Valderrama. Uh, at that time, my firm I worked for uh, were the official bookmakers of the European Tour. So, so we used to basically, if a golf tournament was in the UK, we were the on-course bookmaker. But obviously, in Spain, there were no betting licenses, so we just had you know very nice you know marquee and stuff like that. Whenever, so you know, went down there for a couple of days and stuff like that. And there were quite a few players out and about. You know, Tiger was staying at a nearby hotel, having chippies lessons with Sevilla Ballesteros, and we went and one night went to a kind of bar in a a place called Sota Grande, which is kind of southern Spain, a kind of fairly kind of space, well-to-do place. Uh, went to a bar, and I think obviously due to kind of the kind of customers there were fairly rich to were seats. So you say women of a certain profession who, who, who like to take money off people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been to those bars uh, before. Yeah, <laughs> we were there probably I think it was about about one in the morning, uh, and uh, we saw this chap coming down the stairs. Uh, you know, a bit worse for wear with a couple of women on either either on his shoulder and. Uh, some of you know, Pablo Escobar's uh, is, 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 is product of choice was dripping yeah. from his nose. And we thought, wow. oh, he's, he's a bit worse for wear. And then about half hour later, after a few more drinks, uh, he went up the stairs again with two other women. And then a friend <laughs> of mine, he, he suddenly said, I think I know who that is. And he was obviously, uh, he was playing a, a, the, the WGC American Express that the next day. And obviously we looked at the tea sheet. He was first off that day at eight in the morning. Oof. This is now about half past two, so thinking... He's not going to be worth in any shape at all. So we rushed home after that, got back, and in infancies in internet betting, we found out the price the chap to beat in his two ball, and he was a dollar eighty for his two ball. But okay, that's got what we could on it. Uh, dollar of the morning, watched the game. Uh, the golfer who was upstairs shot seventy seven. The other guy shot seventy six. Oh, and and the golfer who was up to no good double bogey the last. So it actually should have been a losing bet. Good lord. Yeah, that's a lot more. He's never been seen. He lost his card the next year, and he's never been seen of again. Yeah, wow, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, we don't get too many of that. I mean, we're too far away from it all, but yeah, I've seen. Uh, you've seen people obviously go out to go down the Warnable Carnival. There's a few jockeys down there that you think that can't be riding horses the next day in a million years, but they are there somehow. Oh, in the in the old days, uh, it was it was like that. So we said to talk about pricing changing something slightly. Was mm. that I think now. I mean, obviously you're aware of it. There's a great what's your homogeneity in prices of golf. There's not a massive variance between players. In the old days, there was. Because in the old days, it was who's got the biggest balls, basically. So if you didn't like, say, Robert Allenby this week, someone went seven to one, you would just go ten to one because you just wanted to get the money on him. That was how yeah. how gambling was. Yeah. Until obviously firms came bigger, the bean counters and the grey suits, you could say, took over. So, so now, obviously, you don't have that opportunity. Of, you do have the opportunity of prices, but you don't have the variance. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. I apologize. It's, it's like you said. It's um, 
yeah, it's also a bit of luster like that because yeah, you want someone to take it on. You want someone to, you know, no, you I get more pra- you get a lot more places than of you used to. Yeah, that's true. And that's and true. actually, firms bet let better prices in terms of a, a betting percentage for that book. It's just obviously you don't say if the price stands out, it's not going to be there for that long because there's plenty mm-hmm. of people who who running their own systems and pricing modules, and they know that that's the wrong price and it goes. Yeah, yeah. And look, it's it's like you said, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not like a, you know, mm. I suppose AFL, they that, they close the market on, you know, if someone is uh, in the multis that they, they pe- let people bet on the AFL, if someone's a late withdrawal, they, they can everything. Whereas I, mem- I remember a couple of years ago calling up sports bet to say, I need you to add Nate Lashley mm-hmm. as a round one leader because I wanted to bet round one. He's just been added to the field. I know he, he goes well in round one. I'm going to bet him. And they put him up 250 for the outright market. And I called him again. I said, I don't want that market. I want the first round later market. They didn't mm-hmm. put it up. Didn't have a cent on. He went on one. It was the one oh. we got. It was about three, four years ago. He got in the Monday queue. I've literally called them up to add him to a market. They put him in the wrong market, and I still didn't bet him any one. It was the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. You, you do find quite a few firms actually do not add prices to the qualifiers or late entries. Yeah, I'll tell you uh, another one. <laughs> it's not. It's not who you work for, so I'm comfortable to talk about this one. It was only a few weeks ago uh, for an Aussie event. It was the Asia Pacific Amateur. Now, I don't, I don't, I think it's pretty tough to frame that up to yeah. start with. And I called up one of the agencies and said, "There's this guy here. He just got in the last minute. I know he's a Royal Melbourne member. I want to have some money on him." And they hummed and hard and hummed and hard, and they will get back to you. And they put him up. They put him up on Thursday at midday. The, the event had started. They saw the market open. So I had some money on someone who was three under knowing full well mm-hmm. that there's a good chance they're just going to cancel this bet, but they took the money. Yeah. And mind you, they've sent me an email saying, we've added him to the market. You're free to bet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, he hasn't <laughs> eat off yet, but he's in the afternoon tea times, but I'm going to keep betting on this market anyway. Five o'clock, they cancelled all the bets. I said, look, I get it. I'm not even going to argue with you on this. I just don't care. But to be clear, don't, don't leave the market open and then tell me to bet it and then cancel the bet for starters. And two, You've just got to be smart. And they go, oh, you have to understand, we can't take the money after the markets, after the event's already started. I said, well, then close the market. Like, that's not my fault. Like, you're, you're not paying attention. I, I can't help you. So, the trouble is happen. that, yeah, the suspicion might be obviously on the, on the punter's behalf is that they've, they've obviously done well. If you, that said golfer had done badly, you wouldn't have had the email cancelled the bet. Uh, absolutely. The problem was the person that I'd put money on, uh, who was three under on round one in the morning, was the guy that went on one. Short stubs, yeah, yeah. So he was, um, he was fifties. So I, I think I just mm. put, I put enough on him to win, you know, maybe mm. three, four grand. It wasn't massive bets, yeah. but it was enough to. It would, it would have annoyed them massively because I don't think oh. they've been taking too much on the Asia Pacific Amateur. Oh no, 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 no. We talk about it, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, thank you, mate. That was a great. I love that. Um, That's okay. Now you do play golf, so now we're going to mm. do some questions oh. about golf in general. Yeah. Um. And I remember you played golf because I remember, you know, obviously I've met you through the socials, and I remember during um during lockdown times talking to you about when we get out of this one day we've got to come have a hit of golf. Yeah. Um. What's the favorite? This is called we call this Lucky Sevens. Actually, I I yeah. got Bobby Bobby McIntyre to do it for me up at the PGA this week, so I'm going to put that at the okay. end of this podcast if anyone wants to hear because the uh, I posted on the social medias, but I will post his answers to these seven questions as well. But uh, outside of Don, so for you, what's the favorite golf course you've ever played? Royal County Down. Okay. I think someone said Royal County Down, or they wanted that's on their must play list. Uh, 
Uh, my dad was Irish. We went for a wedding in Ireland in 1983. Uh, the wedding was on a Friday. It was unusual for Ireland. And we thought, oh, we're just going to go to Royal County down on a Sunday afternoon. And they said, yeah. He says, okay, if you play after 5, 5 p.m. In the, in, in the evening, it's it's £5 to play. So it was £5 to play. I think Beautiful. it's £300 now. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, it won't be that anymore. No twilight yeah. rate. Um, are you mad enough about golf to have one that's on the must-play list? That you haven't played before. Uh, obviously Augusta, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, someone did tell second, me to frame yeah. this as saying, "What's the favorite? What's the one you want to play that's not Augusta?" So yeah, yeah, it's probably St Andrews, I would think, because yeah. it's easier. It's more doable. Yeah, no, it's on my list for in the next couple of years to try and get over and play a little bit of golf in Scotland. I think uh, it's something you have to do a, as a mad golfer. A close second, apart from Royal County, would be Barn Bugle. Yeah, no, it's a. Uh, I was down there for Cup weekend. I went down and played uh, Barnbugle again, and I preferred Clayton's course to the Crenshaw Core one personally. But I, I, I chop and change every time, every single time. For for years, I was if I had ten rounds, it was seven at Lost Farm and three at Barnbugle Dunes, and it's probably six and four Barnbugle Dunes ahead now. It, it just doesn't. Mm. It just every single go there, every single, yeah. single time I get to go there, I I, I change my mind every time. Yeah, you know, people say that it, the the credential call course does grow on you more. Whereas obviously, it's as soon as you see you know the don't claim course, it's in your face and it's great. And yeah. you know when you finish, when you when you go to those dunes and the tears at the fourth, right by the by the beach. Yeah, yeah. it's a great yeah. walk. No, I agree. I agree. They're beautiful, beautiful golf courses. Um, mm. No matter what, you know. I mean, you can have bad days there, but it's never that bad. Mm. Um, the Masters or the Open. Can only have one. Which one is it? To win, <laughs> to, to go. Win. Can be the win to go. It's whatever I've you been want. To, I, I've been to. I I, w- I went to nineteen eighty five Sandy Lars Open at St Ross and George's and walked down the last eighteen holes on the fairway. Yeah, with the ABC crew, we just had a fake banner and they thought we were TV. So I went with a friend <laughs> of mine. So, so uh, I've done the Open. So yeah, the Masters. The Masters. That's yeah. It's no, there's no wrong answer. Um, yeah. I, that was the thing I love. So I got to go to Birkdale when Spieth beat Kucha, oh, and yes, everyone was waiting because yeah. as soon as they kind of got to the green, they let us all walk up the fairway behind them, and mm-hmm. it was just just great. It was just such a you know such a great tradition um, mm-hmm. to be a part of. I got to go to the Masters in 2019 when Tiger won. I can tell you for free they didn't let me anywhere near the fairway. Um, <laughs> I was just lucky to be there in the first yeah. place. But um, cool. very, very different lucky. events, but just yeah. they're both just amazing, amazing, mm-hmm. they're different, but just amazingly different. Um, what's the better feeling, striping a drive or flushing an iron? Flushing an iron. Okay, I, I prefer iron as well. Bob, Robert McIntyre said driver, but I think he probably oh, okay. does does both of them really well. So, like I've said, pros. It's a it's a tough question for a pro. Probably thinking that three would he hit at 18th hole and Genesis open, Scottish open. Yeah, that was a ripper. That was a ripper. The best shot of the year. Then 10 minutes later, Rory tops that (laughs) with an even better one. Yeah, it was very stiff. Um, when you're putting, it's a pin in, pin out, don't care. Oh, out completely. Yeah, I love it. A lot of people, I reckon I'm running 90% of people say out, which is great because I'm out. So that, that, that works perfectly. Um, I mean, I just think, I mean, I see Adam Scott, and I know he likes it, but never known as a good putter, and he has that. I mean, yeah. Fitzpatrick, yeah, he's, obviously he's a better putter, but Scott obviously has always had that problem. But Yeah, 
no, it's, and it looks awkward. I just don't. I just can't do it. I just don't understand. Mm. Um, when you do get a chance to play, are you a juice sweeper out in the mornings or are you a half set in the afternoon or evening evening golfer? Honestly, I usually play in the morning, yeah, but it doesn't really matter. I, I, the kind of, I lived, say, in Spain for three or four years and I lived on a golf course looking over the, the Straits of Gibraltar and I used to finish work and play 18 holes just by myself carrying a bag. We did, I used to tee off by half past seven and finish yeah. by nine. So, Fantastic. And no one else in the course. So I, I would probably say in the evening if, if you can, if it's yeah. quiet. That's it. When it's quiet. For me, uh, hopefully there's a few coming up. Daylight yeah. savings. Nice still yeah. night. Nice and warm. You know, yeah. shorts and a t-shirt. Love it. Mm. Um, and Have you got a favorite golf memento or keepsake? Something that, that means a lot to you from golf that you sort of carry around. Something in the bag. Could be something from home. Could be anything. I've got a sponsors. We were say we were, we were, we with the official bookmaker of the European Tour, we also sponsored the, the British Masters. Yep. So because we sponsored that and obviously put a shed load of money into that event, we used to have these kind of gold sponsors clips on your belt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. And basically just got you in anywhere. And they had your name on it as well. So it says, you're a mentor sponsor. I know, nine, 2001. I've got three of those in yep. little mentor box. I think actually, one, try, it, try it one year to see if they, they've changed them. I'm sure they have. So. <laughs> just walk in. Yeah, yeah they, they kind of like they sit on your belt, but you can use them as a money clip or something like that. All yeah, the professionals yeah, just, yeah, around. yeah, yeah. They're, 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 we, that's a good one. We had a we went to a tournament once in uh, Ireland. It was the Irish Open was at Ballybunion one year, and stayed in a B and B in Ireland. And two women run the B and B, and both of them had a European Tour one of those badges, both with Eduardo Romero's name on it. <laughs> yep. So I think he paid for his rooms in a different way. Yeah, I, I um. Yeah, I heard. So I can't remember. Gonna, I had a story there that I know I can't share because it's, it's someone I will try and get on at some point. The former caddy on the European tour, but you reminded me of a story that he told me about Sevi, and it's an absolute ripper. But I cannot share it without his approval, so I'll have to wait. Very similar story to that, though. It's, it's very, very good. Oh, I might, I might yeah. tell you when I press stop record in a minute. <laughs> John Huggins got one on similar on that Sevi when he's at dinner somewhere. Yep, that's going to be very similar. I think it could be the okay. same story. Yeah. Um, well, that's great, mate. Thank you. That that gives you a good insight, anyway, to your golf outside of just outside of um taking money on golf as well. Um, now this week in golf, uh, well, we're going to go through the easy event first. It's the one I didn't watch a lot of. It was the Joburg Open. Tristan mm-hmm. Lawrence went into the final round. Don't know if yeah. he was unbackable, but he was definitely leading, and I think a lot of people liked him. But it didn't take long for him to to give that up. I think the minute I turned it on was. He'd hit a drive. It was either the second or third hole, and he had to hit a provisional. Um, and he striped the provisional down the middle. Uh, silly boy went and found his first one in the trees, unplayable. Now, for the people at home that don't know the rule, as soon as you find that original ball, even though you've hit a provisional, the provisional's out of play. You can't touch it. So he was heading back to the tee again, and, and that's when I knew mm-hmm. his day was over. He was um, he was getting pitched away. So lazy yeah. 75 cost him cost him the win, and, and Dean Bur- Burmester shot the 64 to, to win at 18 under comfortably. Did you get to watch any of that event? No, I didn't actually. I think I saw the first few. I, I saw that obviously everyone, you know, he was he was the yeah. favourite for the event because he'd had a really good finish in Dubai the week before. I think he didn't. He shoot 64 or something the last round. He almost got his card, didn't he, in America. He failed it. Yes. Just, it was, Rasmus Hogard was, I think, 11th and he was 12th. No, yeah. I didn't see that. But, I mean, usually this time of year, South African players, I know the majority of the field, but their strokes better mm. at home. 
Yeah, hundred percent. It's one of those ones when we talked about the market last week. I said, look, it's going to be very, very heavy on the home guys. Um, they know the conditions. They know the courses. They just, they just play better there. They just do. It's just different. Yeah, I mean, the old days when the European Tour used to start off in January rather than this wraparound season, you know, the European golfers used to have you know a couple of months off, and they used to go to South Africa, and they just couldn't compete at all. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, and it's not really. I've, look, I've never played golf in South Africa, but I sort of pencil it in to be something similar to playing in Queensland, or um, but it just seems like the grass types and everything else just really does favour favour the locals. Yeah, Kikuyu uh, and stuff like that is different. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, the other one, the other event this week was the big one for us. So the the Australian PGA. So everyone everyone watched a bit of this. Everyone saw Minwoo Lee. Um, I'll say Minwoo Lee carrying on like he was absolutely thoroughly enjoying the back nine. It got a little bit hairy early on. Yeah. He did. Uh, mm-hmm. He did have the one bogey and uh, Hashino chasing him down. Had the early birdies and, and to look like he was going to give him a run, but I think class probably prevailed. Yeah. Um, it was just great to see him win. Just such a such a such a good kid, and um, yeah, I was lucky to be up there with the press. So the press stuff. So listening to his interview after round three, standing there, and you know, he's talking about you know. You know, I still want to be one of the best. I see myself as being one of the best players in the world. And he's talking about Curtis Luck, and he feels the same way. And just the mental game that he has. And after winning, he mm. talked about, you know, I still want to be world number one. Like, he's mm. he's, he's a talent. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, he's got, as you say, length, and he's got a great short game as well. So, hits a high ball, which is pretty good for, for America. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, a different game there. The high ball will definitely help. Uh, yeah, Hashino finished second. Mark Leishman had a very good week. Probably yeah, one, looked at probably that, one yeah. of his best for the year, I reckon. Oh, yeah, I looked at that. But he's actually had, uh, he's had kind of, he's had, I think, three out of his, his, his five previous live events using the top five. So he suddenly seemed to have just turned the corner because his form before then was, was horrendous. How do you, um, how does live work for you? Does it, I mean, outside of not, you can tell me whether you care about live or not, but is it just another market to frame up? Does it make it difficult? more difficult it's, because you're it's, not seeing as not, much well no because obviously you know it's the same you know 48 players every week you know a couple of you know where the sam horsford pulls out or laurie candy comes it's pretty the yeah. same i mean change the courses a lot don't take a lot of business on it to be honest here. i mean i'm probably i'm not anti it but i wouldn't say i'm proud i i probably i wish it it's called a schism in in, in the golfing world but mm-hmm. I, w- I would hope that actually, because of them, we might actually have you know a world rival to to the PGA Tour. Because whatever happens is, is that it, you know their players don't want to go anywhere unless they get paid a fortune. And I you know I'm probably brought up when the European Tour you know Sevi Faldo, Woosdom, Sandy Larbert, yeah. Langer used to probably play twenty events in Europe and seven or eight in America, and it was one of the you know. Pretty close to second and strongest tour, and pretty close to the PGA yeah. tour. I, to see that, then I see, you know, what it is now, and I don't know. I feel sad, really. So I don't really yeah. mind live, but then I thought possibly it might do some good for the world golf. But if they, you know, the PIP joins PGA tour, I mean, PGA tour aren't going to allow a world yeah. tour, are they? No, that's uh, as I've said to people. Uh, as soon as that happens, you can forget having events in Adelaide. They don't care. Uh, there's no benefit yeah. anymore. Um, yeah, I agree. I think then I'm, I'm, I'll say that I'm anti-live. I just don't care about it. Is the honest answer. No. Um, I just uh, anything that would work well for global golf and the best playing against the best, I'm all I'm all in for. 
I just don't have any interest in Saudi Arabia owning, owning all the best golfers in the world on one tour. I got, I got nothing for that. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, I find it really difficult to bet on. I find it something that I'm just not interested in purely because I just don't know where the care is there for them. Like, I don't, like, if yeah. you're getting paid and I don't know how much they're grinding, like, I'm not, I'm not going to shit on Cam Smith. He had a bad week. Everyone has bad weeks, but he does look different. He doesn't look like he's in the same shape. Maybe he is. Maybe I'm missing something. I just don't know. Um, I mean, he nearly won in Hong Kong only a handful of weeks ago, and he could easily come out and win the, the Aussie Open this week. Nothing, none of that would shock me in the slightest. But I just find it so hard to line up. Absolutely, mm. absolutely difficult. Yeah, I mean, lots of obviously golfers have come backwards a lot. I mean, it's very hard. You know, you say paying 14 events. I mean, obviously, Jochen Nyman's playing here yeah. to try and get his world ranking up. But um, as you say, he was, you know, the, the young star when he when he won obviously yeah. at, yeah. at Riviera, was it 2022? Seems, seems, seems longer yeah. than that, but yeah. never mind. But uh, yeah, it is sad, sad to come to see. Oh, I, I don't know. It was, I don't think the end is going to be great for, for people down here and people in Europe, really. I think we're just consigned to pretty much the dark world we've got now. But I suppose mm. for the golf golfers playing the same events a bit less, I, you know, I'm not sure. So, no, it's um, yeah, it's definitely not what we want. If we want everyone playing against each other, I want to be, I want to be able to see Cam Smith playing against these guys and Brooks and DJ mm. and those guys. Um, you mentioned Neiman; he had a good week, had a hole in one in the final round. I did hear it. Yeah. Um, you could hear them all screaming from the from the other side of the course. Um, but uh, yeah, to be honest, not a lot, not a lot of people following him around. Um, during the week before that, same as even Bobby Mack. I mean, had a handful of followers. Um. Moron. He's very tired, isn't he? So he would certainly one that I want to be with this week. So it's he makes yeah, he, very tired. He's here for his family from here, isn't it? One side of his family from Melbourne, I think. Which who's that one? Bobby McIntyre. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, he, yeah. He um he would look uh, post round. I got to listen to. I was in the press conference, and then obviously got to chat to him afterwards. He was just flat with his week. He said, "Look, you know, I, I'm just not. It's just not quite there yet." But you know, he talked a lot about being hungry for for winning and. Really wanted to get a win um, before the year was out. He really, you know, okay. they talked to him about the Masters and he said, end of the day, you know, it's just a number. There's other ways for me to get in. I've got my PJ Tour card now, so there's more points there to do more and other bits and pieces. So he seems confident. He's obviously very happy with where, where you know, these Ryder Cup results. Um, mm, he did go oh, for yeah. a flat spot this year, though. I mean, his results this year just weren't there. Um, he sort of came came better late in the season, yeah. but he played didn't a exactly lot, have yeah. a booming year. Yeah, he played a lot, no. played heaps to get on that team. Yeah. Mm. Um, Adam Scott had a good week. Lucas Herbert, Cam Davis. Um, you know, the cream did rise at the end of the day. It did. Um, it, yeah. it, it's great to see. I mean, I know we're all disappointed Cam Smith didn't make the weekend, but it's always good when you see the big names out there. I mean, the groups, yeah, the, those last three groups, Saturday and Sunday, the amount of people following um, Adam Scott and Minwoo Lee was unbelievable. Absolutely oh, unbelievable. Good. It was like heyday golf. It was good for me because I'd seen them play me in time. So I was out watching... You know, round three, I was watching Connor Syme. He was six under through mm-hmm. um, six under through nine, and no one out there just following him around. This bloke mm-hmm. just absolutely fl- firing at everything. Okay, that was just great to watch. But um, anyone who does get a chance to get up to the to the Aussie PGA, I highly recommend it. It's uh, Touchwood. It's always been good weather the last few years that I've been up there. Uh, it's a good result. A lot of people enjoy the party hole and carry on and drink, and they're all having a ball over there. But just to wander around, it's it's easy to get to. It's in the middle of the city. And it's yeah. you know, fifteen minutes out of town and five minutes from the airport. It's it's a very, very easy event to attend. Okay. Remember that. Um, so that's that is last week uh, in golf. Obviously there was a bit going on. Um the the one this week is the big one is obviously the Aussie Open. Um, you know, we we um 
we've got uh, three events going once. So we've got the men, the women, and the all abilities all playing over two courses at the Australian and the Lakes. Haven't played the Australian, but I have been up there to watch the year Camps Davis one. Um, and that weekend, they're only playing the one course. I went over and actually played the lakes. The lakes, I didn't mind. Um, I felt like I was at course of two nines. I felt I really liked the front nine. Uh, front nine reminded me um, of probably a course here in Melbourne, bit bit different. Um, lots of lots of lots of bunkers and um, some tree line sort of fairways. And the back nine was a bit more open, a lot more water. Hence the name mm-hmm. of the lakes. It's a little yeah. bit different. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, there's a, there's a lot of big names out. Um, just running down the sheet very quickly. So Minwoo Lee, 550, Cam Smith, 650, Cam Davis, $9, Adam Scott, 11, Neiman, 15, Leishman, 15, Herbert, 19, Moronk, 21, Hitsasune, 29, Mikaluzzi, 34, Matt Jones is back, 34, uh, Hashino, who finished second this week, 36, and Bobby Mack, 36, Connorsheim, 46. Aaron Badley. Aaron Badley's back, 50 to 1. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, strong field, probably not as strong as last week, but still pretty good. Um, yeah. Have you um obviously you've done all your work to get all the market framed up? Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I yeah, I think it I mean it's fairly similar. Obviously, you've got a couple of Americans, you've got Hardy and Patrick Rogers, yep. who was, was you know, was a, the gun college player a few years ago, who hasn't really kind of kind of traded on, I suppose. He's, uh, he's married to an Aussie girl. Oh, dating oh, okay. an Aussie girl is um Hardy. That's why he's coming. I think. Oh, I think that's good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's yes. Yeah, I think it's for this time of year, and obviously directly opposite the, the hero. I think it's probably yeah. the best they can expect it. Really, it is. I was a bit disappointed listening to the No Laying Up podcast the other week with uh, Max Homer, as he was saying mm-hmm. how he really wants to come and play in Australia, but the Australian Open butts up against Tigers tournament, and it's pretty hard mm-hmm. to knock back the Tigers tournament to go and play on the other side of the world. Which you can't argue yeah. with like that. I mean, obviously, he played in 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 the Ned Bank, didn't he, with yeah, Justin Thomas? So I yeah. think I don't think they played there for nothing though. But oh no way, no way. They would have been. Oh, they did the safari and they got the whole uh, the whole mm. turned on uh, event, which is you know good luck to them. I mean, they, they would have they would have brought people and bums on seats. So yeah, so as my Christian would took Thomas would be obviously didn't get his didn't get top seventy. Hey, everyone else didn't get up 70 and busting their ass to play all the events to get into you know the the signature yeah. events. This he didn't bother at all because he knows he's gonna get an invite. He'll be getting the sponsors Lord, invited the sponsor, to the yeah. Any, any event he wants to, to choose. Yeah. We'd actually to be honest, the thing would be good if actually he actually did play a couple of events and Yeah. No, and absolutely. just you know because you get know, as you say, it's it's it's. I mean, it's not a close shot, but as you say, if if you're a, a big key player and you, but if Hideki Matsuyama, you know, and you just got in to it, he'd have got the same. It's so it kind of defeats your bit, Really, it's not really a meritocracy anymore. Mm. No, no, I'm with you. I think it's um, it's one of those things that you know he has a luxury of. Um, Lucas Herbert's the one that is, you know, he's not Justin Thomas. Don't get me wrong, but he's very calm at the moment for a bloke who's on his last year of his card i mean mm, he's yeah. got a bit of work to do this year i mean even if he'd won this week i think he's obviously he's obviously set for the dp world tour or euro tour and probably try and get his car back that way but i mean he has to has a have a, have a good season this year to hold on yeah. to his pga tour card i think yeah and you can't do both you can't you can't not do well in in america and try and get into europe because yeah it's not enough events to do it no you'll spread yourself thin and you'll end up with no status or not nothing good yeah exactly uh, for yeah next year for sure now, Mike versus the Mug is the game where you get to pick three players. I will pick three players. Um, if any of your three beat my three, you win and I give 50 bucks to charity. My first question is, 
do you have a charity that you'd like me to give money to? I've got Beyond Blue. Beyond Blue. Okay, I haven't given money to them before. And to be honest, with your work background, there's a solid chance I'll be giving some money to Beyond Blue this week, but that's fine. That's what it's all about. I'm going to get my mum on or something like that because she just picks players by names. I like that Japanese name. It's like, right, you can have him and I won't won't spend any money that week. Um, So for you, who would you like as your three players? I've got Mark Leeshan. Okay. I wouldn't have had Which Leach, I just mentioned before. Obviously, you know, I know he's got, he was 10th here, but I think the last time we played in 2019. Obviously, coming off a, a top three place last week. I just think his, his form is actually very good. I know it's, mm-hmm. as I said before, three, three of the good finishes are in live events, and it's very hard to, you know, qualify how good that is. But it's it's a world better than, than he was playing before. Yep. He likes coming home. Uh, I've just thought, but yeah, it's it's. I didn't think he'd he'd do well last week, and he's obviously played well. And I think if you look at the last two rounds of the weekend, he was actually the lowest scoring of anyone. So I'll go for him first pick. Good pick. Who's your second pick? Uh, Ryuki Hashino. I've been I was impressed by looking at him. I just further looked back, and actually, yeah. he putted terribly. He apart from he was best strokes gained in, in approach shots, which is important on both courses. He's kind of naturalised as well. I just thought that, you know, for someone who I think was, wasn't was in the top 50 putting last week and he came second. So, yep. yeah, he lost strokes gaining putting. So, got that. And my second one, last one, is Alex Fitzpatrick. He's kind of just sneaked in the top 20 last week. He Obviously, had had a few few weeks off. Played in Qatar, but didn't play in Ed Bank or Dubai. Came over here. Played all right, kind of got better. I actually noticed that his only he, he won in the Challenge Tour this year, yeah. I think in June time, the British Challenge. It was in St. Melons, which is a course actually in, in just on the corner, just on the Devon Cornwall border. It is designed by Jack Nicholas, and obviously we're playing three three rounds at a Jack Nicholas course yeah. this week. Okay, so I just thought there's you know maybe a bit of positive correlation between those two. Yeah, I had Alex Fitz in my picks last week. Uh, he played good golf. I mean, look, for a guy, I said it last week, he's very much impressed me since he's come on. I mean, he's always going to live in his brother's shadow. But, um, yeah, he's been very, very impressive. Ashino, like you said, putting last week wasn't there. He's coming off that that grainy grass over to a very different grass this week, I think. So maybe yeah. that'll help him. Um, and Leash has obviously had some good form, so it's hard to argue with. Um, first one I'm going to go with is the same one I went with last last week which is Rio Hitsatsune oh, yeah. um, I was very impressed with him last week uh, last year I should say and this week he looked okay like he didn't look amazing he didn't look bad I think the first few rounds I thought he was going to really give it a shake but he finished T13 which is not miles mm. away uh, the other one I'm going to pick next up is uh, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with last year's last time they played here winners Cam Davis um, I don't like his price he's $9 but I, I just like a guy. He obviously knows, of course, I'm pretty sure he's yeah. a member here or was a member here. Um, he's a world-class player. I'd much prefer to have him than than Minwoo backing up or Cameron Smith finding form. I mean, I watched Cameron Smith on the range uh, for probably an hour on Saturday because he was still there, you know, signing yeah. stuff for the kids and running Which around. Which is great, yeah. Just so good. Um, and then after that, he sat there with Lewis Dobler, um, another young Queenslander, mm-hmm. and they were pitch- having pitching and... and and putting and um, bunker work practice together, having little games. They would have been at it for half an hour, 40 minutes at least. Um, just good to see. Just really good, yeah. always putting stuff back in, but he didn't look comfortable with his swing. Now, don't get me wrong. Anyone who's listening to this, 
don't take this as a as naturally specific advice and say he can't win because he could come and win by ten this week and nothing would shock me. But I've never seen never seen a golfer really play that well when he probably had ten guys around him with trackman data and mm, he just okay, didn't look yeah. comfortable. He just he just looked like he was trying to find something and, and just wasn't happy. He might maybe found it. Maybe he finds it and, and comes out this week and has a flyer. But yeah, I'm, I'm not um I'm not going to be um, not going to be probably betting on him this week. The last one I'm going to bet is the bloke who went very, very deep in round two, and that's Connor Syme, uh, the Scotsman. Just absolutely pure. Um, I just think he could have another really good week this week. It was, I was tossing up between him and David Michaluzzi. Um, Michaluzzi's obviously in his second event, or there is a second event for the, for the world uh, DP World Tour this year, but um, he's got a long season ahead, and I think he is going to win, but... Yeah, I just think uh, a bit bit more uh, rust on Connor Simon. I think he might come out and um, play well this week. So he's going to be my third pick. So for Beyond Blue, you've got Leash, Hoshino, and Alex Fitz. And I've got Hitsatsune, Cam Davis, and Connor Syme. So that's mm-hmm. uh, it's a good mix. I did, I've, I'm happy you didn't go with Minwoo Lee, Cam Davis, and, and Cameron Smith because that would have been disappointing. Oh. I, I didn't want to do the first thing in the best thing, but I left that to you for, for one of them anyway. <laughs> yeah, I did take one of them. That's correct. I nearly didn't. Okay. Uh, I was tossing up, but I thought, no, I'd, I really like Cam Davis this week. So I probably won't bet on him, but I, uh, he will be in the picks. Mm-hmm. Um, the other event on this week is, or the, one of the other two events, is the Women's Australian Open. So Minji Lee's here playing, G.A. Shin, uh, Hannah Green, Jenny Shin, Ashley Buhai, Grace Kim, Steph Kuriaku, Gabe, Gabby Ruffles, um, Kirsten Rudgley, Sarah Kemp, Cassie Porter. It's a good, good Aussie feel back. Um, Minji Lee's obviously the red hot favourite at three dollars twenty five. She's she's a superstar. Hannah Green, I'm a bit surprised, is eight dollars. I, th- I would have thought she would have been maybe a little bit shorter. She's um she's obviously a world class Aussie golfer as well. When it comes to the women's event, do you get much money and much much betting on those? Uh, the LPGA we do. It's it's kind of after PGA. DP, Corn Ferry, LPJ would be probably the same as the Corn Ferry. Yeah, gotcha. I'm guessing it's one of those events, like you said, where the people that are betting on it have probably got a little bit more knowledge about golf than someone who's just picking a name for the week. Yeah, I think you get actually, you probably actually get some leisure leisure punters who bet on the LPGA. I think yeah. more so, more so than the Corn Ferry, I would have thought, just because, you know, obviously a bit more Australian interest. You've got, you know, two players on top 20, and obviously you might get, yeah. you know, when Steph Kiriaki goes and obviously Gabby Ruffles, when she kind of plays full time and stuff, uh, they'll probably get into the top twenty as well. So, yeah, you might think about that. I noticed that uh, seventy-one players in the field. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, one point one seven million prize money. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, I know last year they had a problem, but I know it's where it's sitting. But you would think that you would have got got a full field. It is better than last year. Last year was a um, was a real drop off. I think uh, from memory, the, yeah. the women's event probably had five key players, and then it dropped right off real quick. Um, mm. But look, it's it. I I know there are people that don't rate having the event side by side on the same weekend. I think it's great. I think there's a bit like the Vic Open down at Thirteenth Beach. I think it's yeah. excellent to be able to go and watch both the men and the women play. Oh yeah, definitely. Time. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great day out. Again, I said about watching the Aussie PGA last week. Anyone who's in Sydney can get to this event. Go and have a look. You, you will not regret it. Absolutely not regret yeah. it. And a big shout out to um to PK, a uh, listener who's out there. Um, I saw on his socials this week, he's out there uh, working as a volunteer. So good luck to him. I hope they're not giving him okay. any job, any any big jobs because uh, I don't trust him to be spotting any golf balls off the tee or anything like that. So uh, good luck <laughs> this week, PK. 
Um, I'll be watching out on the telecast for you to do something silly. Um, and the other one's a hero. So the heroes on this week, um, not really going to pay too much attention to that limited field Tigers event. I think I think most people probably watch a bit of it. the wrong rotation. I mean, I mean, obviously Hovland's won the last two editions. He's kind of fairly short, but uh, yeah, he's played two weeks ago. Which is more than the rest of them have, obviously, apart from Thomas and, and then Homer. And I say a lot of them on holiday, aren't they, really? So, yeah. yeah that's so, it. At least he doesn't know. I don't think he has world ranking points this year, finally, I think. No, I think it they did for a certain up. while. It did. It I think definitely they gave did, him yeah. up. I think they had to give up. Thank God. So, You're right. Yeah. yeah, Hovland's $5. Scotty Scheffler, $6.50. Max Homer, $7.50. Morikawa, yeah. $8. JT, $17. Maddie Fitz, $17. Fowler, $19. Finau, $19. Cameron Young, $21. Who's a bloke? I just literally he only plays well in majors. I don't I don't see him play any other any other time play well. Uh, mm. Now that I've said that he wins, uh, Jordan Spieth twenty one. The, the field's ridiculous. Obviously, I mean it's just free yeah. money, free money in a holiday. I feel sorry for mm. Lucas. Poor old Lucas Glover, fifty one dollars on sports bet. Tiger Woods forty one. How how's Lucas Glover going when he's he's giving up ten points to um to Tiger Woods who hasn't played yeah. in however many years? I know. Yeah. Be interesting to see how you it'll, it'll, it'll all be about him, won't it? Really, it'll be kind of yeah. non star coverage. And yeah. ABC will be fawning over. There's rumors that McGinley is going to commentating for this event, isn't he? And possibly okay, no, the Azinger's, Azinger's position because obviously yeah. he was, you know, his contract terminated completely, you know, not mm. even any notice at all. So I no. wasn't happy about that, but with prejudice, I'm not a not a bit not a big uh, Azinger fan. All no, your research, yep, yeah. Yeah, just bangs on with the same sayings and yeah, that's yeah. about it. No, he's not, not my favourite. Um, if anyone is interested in the email I'm going to send out, threeputtpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to get on Instagram, threeputtpodcast on Instagram. Uh, we're giving away a signed Min Woo Lee flag this week from last week's PGA. Uh, lucky enough to get him to sign that on after round three for me. So I took a bit of a gamble that he was going to win. I was pretty confident. So I was very happy that he did. So I'm giving that away. Um, all you have to do is follow the account and pick who's going to win the event this week and what they're going to shoot. So put your picks in and, and you're a chance to get it and I'll send it out. Um, Don, thank you so much for this. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome, Mike. Um, nice. And thank you for having me. No, no worries at all. Now, if people want to follow you on the socials, are you okay with that? Yeah, it's okay. Okay. Now, what's the what's the handle on Twitter? Because I know you're most, most used on Twitter. He says, suddenly going to my PC, looking what my handle is. It's kind I of, think uh, it's Donsky, D-O-N-S-K-I. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Musing is a predominantly golf. You might get a bit of Leicester City Football Club and a bit of politics uh, to the left side of, of the market. Uh, yeah. So you have to have to bear with me. No, it's fine. I, I've enjoyed following you for a long time. Uh, you and Mike, um, who I don't know Mike either, who's back in New Zealand now, but yeah. Watching you two banter on about betting on golf, I've quite enjoyed over the years. So I appreciate that as well. Yeah, yeah that was some very interesting stories. You should try and get him on. Yeah, I will. I will. I will. I will send him a note. But again, thank you so much for your time, mate. I greatly Actually appreciate welcome, it. You're welcome, Mike. Thank you very much. Okay, so welcome back. This is a three-part part. So each week we get someone on to ask seven questions um, all about golf. Never asked a touring pro, so I don't know what your answers are going to be. <laughs> so favourite course you've ever played? Augusta. Augusta, that's a good answer. Favourite course you haven't played but really want to play? Um, it's a golf tournament. Yeah, absolutely. management, Phoenix Open. Yep, that's a good one too. Carnage. Hall. Yeah, Carnage, exactly. Uh, what's your favourite feeling, flushing an iron or flushing a driver? 
washing or driver. Yeah, that's good. Um, you're home with the mates, having a lazy hit at home. Is the pin out when putting or are you leaving it in? Uh, out? Yeah. This one I think is going to be a tricky one for you. Masters or the Open, you can only have one. I told you it was a tricky one. I got to go for the open. That's a good answer. Too. There's no wrong I answer mean, there. My head's saying open, heart saying the masters. Yep. Yep. I'd take either. I won't lie to you. I'd happily just go to one. Um, preference. Are you uh, half sets and sunsets, late night golfer, or you want to be out yeah. first thing in the morning? Late night golfer. Late night golfer? Beers? I don't yeah, drink no. much. Okay. I had a wee beer last night because I was a bit annoyed. So I just thought, you know what? Yep. Do something different have a beer. That's a good answer. And last one's probably the hardest one. So of all the things you've got collected over the years, what's the biggest um, memento keepsake that you have that really means a lot to you in golf? Um, I think the replica Ryder Cup trophy now. That's yeah. no matter what I do in the game of golf now, I'll, I'll be a happy man to think I've achieved something that I've dreamed of as a kid. Yeah. Great answer. Thanks for coming out this week. I appreciate it. Thank you.